your coffee and your little bit of dessert. Um, first, I, I don't know that she'll hear us, and I won't bring her out because she's a bit shy, but a thank you to Robin Power. Thank you, Robin. <laughs> experience a very talented chef and has been doing a lot of our Shabbos dinners here at the synagogue uh, and tonight was delicious so thank you. Um, a few words of introduction. Um, first of all tonight is being recorded just up here so um, if anybody couldn't make it we'll be uh, recording. We're not streaming this part but we'll put it online afterwards. I, uh, I'm glad you brought the books Jeff. Let me, can I have I want to give uh, a bit more of an introduction to, uh, to Rabbi Salkin uh, for this evening. And to explain also that Rabbi Salkin is a prolific author. Uh, as some of you know, I'm, I'm heading off on the sabbatical in January for three months. I'm hoping to write what would technically be my second book, but really my first. And Jeff has me beat by like two dozen. And I was asking him today as we were going around how he does it. And uh, he says, you just write. Just write. I couldn't just write, but Jeff did. Um, he's that gifted of an articulate of a rabbi and a scholar. Uh, and uh, our opportunity to study and learn from him this weekend, uh, we are quite fortunate. Uh, of the, the four talks that Jeff is doing with us this weekend, three of them uh, have their sort of their origins in some of the books that he's written. And uh, we have those with us this evening also. We don't take money on Shabbos. You don't necessarily have to write. If you just tell us, that's okay too. But if you want to write your name down, we'll bill you. We know where you live. Um, <laughs> as we think we do with our new database, we're not 100% sure. But I think. Um, so tomorrow, Jeff will be speaking about the story of Abraham and the book, The Gods Are Broken, uh, a hidden legacy of Abraham. That's tomorrow's talk on uh, tomorrow evening. Uh, when we're at uh, Robin Marty Greenwald's home for our men's group, there's actually a different book that we'll be using, a men's Torah commentary. Uh, but Jeff has done some wonderful writing uh, about the Torah, and um, he even wrote a Torah commentary for many mitzvah students, uh, which all my colleagues and I find tremendously helpful as we study text. But you might find it helpful for you as well, uh, or if you have a teenager or a university student and looking for a gift for Hanukkah. Makes an excellent, uh, I want to say stocking stuffer, but we don't do stockings. So. Um, and then uh, a book whose title is a class in itself, uh, Putting God on the Guest List. So on Sunday, our, uh, we have 45 families that will be having a mix for the next three years so far at the synagogue. Uh, and so we invited grades 4, 5, 6, and 7 and their parents for a 90-minute session with Rabbi Salkin. They'll be learning independently. They'll be learning Parents just Rabbi Salkin, parents and kids together uh, to discuss the, the real the, the message and the agenda of this book, which is to bring meaning to the Mammoth's for experience. But tonight, uh, tonight is about Leonard Cohen, his music and his poetry. Uh, I was wondering, Jeff, how often, if ever, you've given this talk in Canada. This will be the first time, so it's a uh, so it's a Shahakiana moment. It's a Shahakiana moment. So be, we uh, we'll, we'll wait till after the talk, and then we'll, All right. we'll, we'll find out. Uh, I'm going to be operating once in the AV club, always the AV club. I'm going to try to operate the tech as we go. Uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen, Rabbi Jeff Sullivan. Thank you. Sorry. I'm sitting in front of you. 
Yeah. It does seem yeah. to me that one definition of chutzpah is what I'm about to do, which is to speak of Leonard Cohen in the country that nurtured him, that birthed him, and that was always uh, his spiritual home. It's also, in some ways, chutzpah for me to quote <coughs> Seth Rogen to you. <laughs> Seth Rogen uh, said uh, recently, Seth Rogen said recently at the memorial concert uh, in Montreal that commemorated Leonard's uh, first yard site, he said, and I quote, there is no greater honor for a Canadian Jew than to read Leonard Cohen's poetry in a hockey stadium. <laughs> Tonight we are speaking of Leonard Cohen, and I am well aware of the fact that this is, in fact, a, the week of his first yard site. And I am well aware of the fact that when we speak of Leonard Cohen, when we hear his music, when we encounter his work, a man who's been called the poet laureate of pessimism, <laughs> the grocer of despair, the godfather of gloom, was eulogized by Leon Wieseltier as the Prince of Bummers. <laughs> to speak of him is to speak of a particularly important Jewish contribution to the world. Uh, you should know that uh, every week, you know, sometimes twice a week, three times a week if I'm really ambitious, uh, I write a blog, an award-winning blog, it was the name last year, the best religion blog in America, uh, happy to say that. Um, and then the year afterwards, I came in third place for that. My mother, blessed memory, would have said, third? <laughs> <laughs> the blog is called Martini, Martini Judaism for those who want to be shaken and stirred. <laughs> and I often write about the intersection of Judaism and popular culture. So why Leonard Cohen? Why my love for him? And why are we talking about this in a synagogue? I want to say several things. I want to frame what we're going to do, what we're going to watch, and what we're going to hear. I want to say that Leonard Cohen is unique in American, North American popular culture because he represents a particular Jewish voice. Now, everyone here probably has their favorite popular artist who happens to be Jewish. Listen to what I said. Who happens to be Jewish. If I look at this subject narrowly and just look at rock music, popular music, there are any number of people I could name. The people who come to my mind immediately, Jewish pop stars who happen to be Jewish, well, you probably have your own shortlist, right? Who would be the most famous? Bob Dylan. Barbara Streisand. Okay, I'll accept Barbara. All right. What's that? But just. Okay. Uh, Paul, Paul Simon. I'm just going to just lay those two people out for you right now. They actually were born within months of each other. It's hard to believe that. They both recently turned 76 years old. 
and then Leonard died at the age of 82, which is old for a rock star to die. Mostly they die at 27. <laughs> Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Amy Winehouse, Brian Jones, they all died at 27. Uh, Leonard was, uh, well, considerably older. When I say that Leonard is unique among rock stars, among popular musicians, etc., I say so in the following way. A, he was Jewish. B, he never rebelled against Judaism. It's very difficult to find in the work of Paul Simon much that is affirmatively Jewish. I've written about this. In fact, I think there's more Jesus in Paul Simon than there is anything else, with certain exceptions. When I come back, I'll do the Jewish Paul Simon. It will be, by definition, a shorter talk, because he's a shorter person. But Dylan has written a lot that was influenced by the Jewish text, but he also had a very productive, musically speaking, sojourn as a Christian. Now, Leonard also had a sojourn as a Buddhist monk. And there might be something wrong with our ability to accept Leonard's flirtation with Buddhism, but Leonard never left Judaism, number one. Number two, I would actually say the other rock star who never left Judaism, was never rebelled, uh, is my friend Peter Himmelman, uh, who was Bob Dylan's son-in-law, who's an Orthodox Jew. And you listen to his music, and his stuff just really shines through with a Jewish mystical vision, and it's really amazing stuff. Third thing I want to say about Leonard Cohen is something that I said earlier, which is that he had a full-blown career as a literary figure before he ever recorded music. Now, by the way, I'm talking in Canada about Leonard Cohen. At least one person here knew him, okay? There may be more of you. How many people here are from Montreal? Okay, this is like playing Vegas. Where are you from? <laughs> All right, so those of you who grew up in Montreal, those of you who are Canadian, do not need, need me to tell you that Leonard Cohen cannot be understood outside of the context of his Montreal, Montreal boyhood, yes? A product of the Montreal Jewish community who lived and actually died as an extended part of that community. In fact, we'll be listening to two songs from his final album, uh, including especially uh, the song that has become very popular, uh, and sadly popular, that he recorded with the cantor and with the choir of uh, Shari uh, Shemayim, which was his home synagogue, where his father and his uncles were uh, presidents. And he himself, Leonard himself, was the grandson of a famous rabbi who was also a grammarian, a man whose nickname was Sar HaTiktuk, the Prince of Grammar. <coughs> the other thing I want you to understand about Leonard is that not only was he a proud Jew and Judaism pervaded and permeated his material, Leonard Cohen was that rarity in the entertainment world. He was an unapologetic Zionist. He played Israel many times. He traveled to Israel during the Yom Kippur War in 1973. There is a famous photograph of him standing next to Ariel Sharon. Uh, when 
when he has gone to Israel, he has sung in Hebrew. He has blessed the, uh, the audience there with the priestly blessing. An unapologetic Zionist. And the last thing I want you to understand, and we'll see this, is that in his final year of life, Leonard Cohen dealt with his own fragility and with his own mortality in a way that could be a model for everyone who is approaching death. And we'll be seeing that. Questions thus far? Any questions? What's that? Uh, the last sentence was, any questions so far? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so the second to last question. I said that the way that Leonard coped with his fragility and his mortality could be a model for everybody. Maybe many years before you need to know that. Okay, so let us, what's that? For all of you. Um, Let's, let's start on our journey together. The first song, uh, you all have a, uh, a booklet of lyrics that I've put together. We're going to study these as musical texts. We're going to find the Jewish echoes in all of this material. The first song is, If It Be Your Will. Thank you very much, friends, for the real warm reception that you've given me here. I don't know which side anybody's on anymore. I don't really care. There is a moment, there is a moment when we have to transcend the side we're on and understand that we are creatures of a higher order. That doesn't mean that I don't wish you courage in your struggle. There is, there is on both sides of this struggle men of goodwill that is important to remember. On both sides of the struggle, some struggling for freedom, some struggling for safety. In solemn testimony, of that unbroken faith which binds the generations one to another. I sing this song, if it be your will.
from this broken hill I will sing to you from this broken hill all your praises they shall ring if it be your will to let me sing is that you could translate this entire song into Hebrew and it would be perfect. By the way, I, uh, I will tell you that Hallelujah, his most famous song, which by the way he regretted, uh, which has about 35 verses, uh, has been translated into Hebrew. And if you really want to have a... Ha if you really want to have a sweet experience, the IDF uh, choir sings it 
in Hebrew. It's also been recently translated into Yiddish. So, yeah, so it's being sung to God. Yes, what else? It sounds like a song. It sounds like a song. It's really interesting. If you look at some of Leonard Cohen's books, his, some of his books of poetry sound like they could be Sfarim, the Book of Mercy, for example. Okay, So, yes, it feels Psalmish. I once gave a course called Psalm Enchanted Evening. I will not, I will not repeat that now. I'm doing, I'm doing a course now in my singer called Haftarah Will Travel. So, yeah, it's really big. Yes? Tell me more about that. Yes, and we will encounter Isaac again. The Akedah is a constant theme, subtly, in his music. Very subtle. What else seems Jewish here? Because there's some stuff that you might not see. Yes, sir? Good. Okay, as if to say that the entire, my entire ability to speak comes from you. You could actually say that this is a different version of Adonai Sfatai Tishtach Ufi Yagi Tehilatecha. Okay? By the way, there's something else I want to show you, because we could spend all night on this. You should know that in a previous congregation uh, for Leonard Cohen's 80th birthday, which was in uh, 2014, throughout the High Holy Days, I taught the choir Leonard Cohen music. And, and we used, we'll, we'll hear much of the stuff that we use. This we used in place of the Hinami at the beginning of, of Rosh Hashanah. It was very effective. There's another piece here that you might miss that reference to rags of light is actually a translation of the phrase big day or, okay, garments of light. There is a midrash that the garments that uh, that God made for Adam and Eve were actually garments of light. You know, uh, it, it can be read as garments of skin, but or also, as we know, is light. It's a pun. And more than that, the idea that the rest of the year we are dressed to kill, which is a, which has a double meaning. Dressed to kill, of course, means that you're really, what's the Yiddish? Yes, you're dressed beautifully, right? But dressed to kill also means that in the corporate world, you're dressed to kill. It is a jungle out there. You understand what we're saying? Beautiful, uh, really beautiful piece of music. Let's keep going, Rabbi.
crucified. It, it's a book that needs to be reread. Um, I think the reason why Leonard Cohen uses the cross as an image for pain is because he wants to come up with an image that will be readily accessible to most people. It would be wrong, but I think terribly wrong, 
to believe that his evocation of the cross is anything more than a literary conceit. Nonetheless, what we have here is a beautiful, again, another psalm, a psalm of healing. And he speaks of the various kinds of healing that are necessary. But notice what makes it really Jewish. He speaks of healing of the body and healing of the mind. Rufuat ha-nefesh, okay, which is the healing really of the inner life. Rufuat ha-guf, the healing of the body, the healing of the soul, okay? The healing of the spirit, the healing of the limb. Using the notion of the gates of mercy, this is straight out of the Neela uh, service of Yom Kippur. And then I notice something here. At the top of page three, and let the heavens falter, let the earth proclaim. This is psalm language. Come healing of the altar, come healing of the name. And now he's really Jewish. Because when he speaks of come healing of the altar, he's speaking about the rebuilding of the temple. And healing of the name is the healing of the name of God itself. The yud hey vav hey that has been torn apart uh, because of the pain of the Jewish people. When you add to that uh, from the first song, if it be your will, from this broken hill, I will call to you. The broken hill, either the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, either a reference to the destruction of the Temple, or Leonard Cohen is referring to himself as the broken hill. This notion of brokenness comes up over and over again in his music and in his poetry. Yes? I have a question. Please. By the way, rule for the weekend. Ready? Number one. Uh, you can ask any question you want, and I'll give you any answer I can come up with. <laughs> Seriously, no question will be silly or stupid, and I will not say, oh, I can't believe you're here. Okay? I'm here as your teacher, your resource. We're going to hang together. We're going to have a good time. This is a conversation, okay? So ask any question you want, all right? I'll, and I'll do my best to respond in a mature, non petulant way, yeah. <laughs> which would be a first for me. <laughs> yes? Um, he uses O a lot, but not O-H, like you normally see in a song. Just the letter O. Well, he's Canadian. <laughs> he's Canadian. No, that's a poetic conceit that comes straight off of the internet. But isn't it interesting it's, that O without an H is, is a spelling that you only see in sacred literature, right? What's that? Oak. There you go. See, when we sing it, oh say can you see, we spell it O-H, okay? I just noticed uh, about uh, six months ago, I'm going to give a sermon on this, I didn't realize this, that the Star Spangled Banner, our national anthem, is a, is a series of questions. Rachel Matt, I didn't know that. Yeah. What? Watching it on a cruise, and she gets on there and she says, I'm not sure it's a question. It really is. 
I also noticed two weeks ago when I gave a sermon on the Balfour Declaration that Lord Balfour needed an editor. <laughs> the Balfour Declaration is one long, run-on sentence. What is up with that? So yes, O is, yeah, it's just a different spelling of O, okay? Uh, as opposed to the story of O. Yes? I also see this as part of his background in French Canada and French Catholic Quebec. Because I see this as a real indictment of the treatment of Jews by Christianity, especially in politics. You, you know, you, you see that in his early poetry. There's a poem that I have. Um, if we had more time, I would share it with you. Because if we had more time, I would teach you the poetry as well as the music. He's got a fantastic poem called The Genius, which is about the history of anti-Semitism. And I use it to teach kids about the, uh, about the history of anti-Semitism. And so the cross, by the way, is interesting because he, he does come from a very Catholic city. He's got very Catholic tastes, as it were. All right, well, let's go to Hallelujah, which is, of course, his most famous. Um, it is not only his most famous, it is also, in some ways, that he believes, overdone. It is also, as I said, a song that exists with about anywhere between 25 and 30 verses or so. Everyone has their own particular famous, favorite version of it. Some people like Jeff Buckley, some people like David Langs, some people like the version that was on, on Shrek, uh, <laughs> Shrek. Um, so let's, let's look at it because I don't think people who love this song realize why it's so lovable. And I did my best I did my best uh, to uh, try to get the right lyrics to go with the version of the song uh, that we're going to hear. And I, I really appreciated L'Chadar uh, Day to Hallelujah. Okay.
had you to a kitchen chair Then she broke your throne and she cut your hair And from your lips she drew the hallelujah 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 As for me, all I ever learned from love is how to shoot at someone who outdrew you. But it's not a cry that you hear tonight. It's not some pilgrim who claims to have seen the light. No, it's a cold and it's a very broken
done my best I know it wasn't much I couldn't feel So I learned to touch I've told the truth I didn't come here to London Just to fool you And even though It all went wrong I'll stand right here Before the Lord of Song With nothing, nothing on my tongue But hallelujah Hallelujah Synagogue, uh, Mordecai Finley's, yeah. right, 
and that's where Leonard Cohen, Oratora, Oratora, that's where Leonard Cohen got, and by the way, two rows in front of um, uh, David Mamet, playwright and, and, uh, and, and director. And so she said to me, I just want to let you know that Leonard Cohen asked me out for coffee. And what did I say? Hallelujah. <laughs> I want to bring you to uh, I want to, I want to, our, our time together is is like life is happy by yes I'd like you to hear who by fire this is now in this is, I think this is in uh, Mishkan Hanefesh this is in our new Mahasur for the days of the law as is the song anthem that we're also going to hear so I want you to see how Leonard Cohen's music has been co-opted by reform liturgy and what he did. So what is this? What is Skipping the ad. One second. Okay, sorry. Is this commercial?
believe it or not, in the early 60s, there are a number of American popular singers who recorded Kol Nidre, and not, and not only Jews. I think Perry Como. <laughs> Canadian, yes? Yeah. Mix them up with Guy Lombardo. I think, I think Perry Como actually recorded Kol Nidre. Heidi Francis. Heidi Francis. This is just, I, I mean, I'm, I'm raising money now for the Jeff Salkin Museum of Bad Jewish Culture. That will be the exhibit. But I just want to point something out to you. For those of you who know the Unitana Tokef well, you know that, of course, this is a rewriting of the Unitana Tokef, number one, number two. Uh, I actually have chanted the couplets of the Unitana Tokef to the melody of Hubai Fire. Number three, notice something. There's a radical difference in the way that Leonard Cohen understands this piece of liturgy from the way that we usually understand it. The liturgy res resolves itself after all those possible ways of dying. Oh, by the way, let me tell you, living in South Florida, as I do, and having the Hyolides right after Irma visited us, okay, who by water was very relevant. Okay? I imagine it was certainly for our friends in Houston as well. And when you consider the wildfires that were ripping through Northern California, who by fire, was, uh, you know, these, things, these issues are far from over. But notice that whereas the traditional liturgy resolves itself by saying that tshuva, tefillah, tzedakah, okay, somehow mitigates the divine decree, what does Leonard Cohen say? He said, and who may I say is called? Which is what a secretary would say, right? Okay, and by the way, it goes both ways. Some people would say that it's God asking, who may I say is calling? Or it is the worshiper speaking to God, who may I say is calling? Now I promised you we would get to the end of Leonard's life. So let's jump if we can. Uh, Rabbi, there's a, um, there's a video. I thought you quit smoking. Yeah. <laughs> some, some guys you just can't trust. <laughs> I said I was uh, ready to die recently, you know, and I think I was exaggerating. Uh, <laughs> one is given to self-dramatization from time to time. <laughs> I intend to live forever. <laughs> I think that any songwriter, and uh, I think that Bob Dylan knows this more than all of us, uh, you don't write the songs anyhow. So, um, if you're lucky, you can keep the vehicle healthy and uh, responsive over the years. If you're lucky, uh, your own intentions have very little to do with this. Y you can keep uh, the body as uh, well-oiled and uh, receptive as possible, but whether you're actually going to be able to go for the long haul is really not your own choice. We're actually not that tight of family, but 
I, I've expressed my gratitude to my son uh, many times, and uh, his career is far from undistinguished, and uh, it was a great uh, privilege to have someone of this skill uh, bringing this album to conclusion. You know, things, if you're lucky, uh, things deepen uh, between members in a family. If you're not lucky, they don't. Uh, if you're unlucky, they uh, deteriorate. Uh, I've been lucky. Uh, I have uh, close relationships with my few friends and my family members and my and my grandkids. So uh, so far, so good. Uh, I hope it continues to deepen. Uh, I have every faith that it will. I mean, nothing in this racket makes any sense to me, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Uh, I, I, I've often said if I, if I knew where the good songs came from, I'd go there more often. <laughs> you know, everybody has a kind of uh, magical system. You're a writer yourself. Everyone has a kind of magical system that they employ in the hopes that this will uh, open up the channels. Uh, my mind was always very cluttered, so I took great pains to simplify my environment, because if my environment were half as cluttered as my mind, I wouldn't be able to make it from room to room. <laughs> so I can't really give you, it's a good question, but I can't really give you a coherent answer, because I don't really this system has worked for me, uh, e you know, even though I've had to sweat over every word, it's just my style. Some people, it comes faster, some people it comes slower. Yeah, the fact that my songs uh, take a long time to write is no guarantee of their excellence. <laughs> it's just, it's just the way, it, it just takes a long time for me. Um, I'm very slow. And uh, I'm happy, you know, it comes kind of by dribbles and <laughs> drops. Um, some people are graced with uh, flow. Uh, some people are graced with uh, something less than a flow. I'm, I'm one of those. We're actually not that tight a family, but <laughs> I, I've expressed my gratitude to my son uh, many times, and uh, his career is far from undistinguished, and uh, it was a great uh, privilege to have someone of this skill uh, bringing this album to conclusion. You know, things, if you're lucky, uh, things deepen. Uh, between members in a family. If you're not lucky, they don't. Uh, if you're unlucky, they uh, deteriorate. Uh, I've been lucky. Uh, I have 
close relationships with my few friends and my family members and my and my grandkids. So uh, so far so good. Uh, I hope it continues to deepen. Uh, I have every faith that it will. I don't really know the genesis, the origin. That um, Hineni, that uh, declaration of readiness no matter what the outcome, that's uh, a part of everyone's soul. Uh, we, all, we all are motivated by deep impulses and deep appetites to serve even though we may not be able to locate that which we are willing to serve. Uh, so this is just a part of my nature and I think everybody else's nature uh, to uh, offer oneself uh, at the moment, at the critical moment when uh, the emergency uh, becomes articulate. It's only when the emergency becomes articulate that we can locate that willing, that willingness to serve. I've never thought of myself as a, uh, a religious person. Uh, I don't have any uh, spiritual strategy. Uh, I kind of uh, limp along like uh, so many of us do in these uh, realms. Uh, occasionally, uh, I've felt the grace of uh, another presence in my life, uh, but I can't build a, uh, uh, any kind of spiritual structure on that. So um, I always, I feel that this is a vocabulary that I, that I grew up with. This biblical landscape is uh, very familiar to me and uh, it's natural that I use those landmarks uh, as references once they were universal references and everybody understood and knew them and locate them. That's no longer the case today, but it is still my landscape. I try to make uh, those references. Uh, I try to make sure that they're not too obscure. Uh, but outside of that, uh, I can't, I dare not claim anything in the spiritual realm uh, for my own.
If you are the healer, means I'm broken and lame. If thine is the glory, then mine must be the shame. You want it darker. We kill the flame. Magnified, sanctified, be thy holy name. Vilified, crucified in the human frame. A million candles burning for the help that never came. You want it darker.
doesn't get any more Jewish than that. <laughs> You've got Kaddish in there. You've got Hineni in there, which is one of the leitmotif words of the days of law, the stories of Abraham. You have the choir of his home synagogue, Shari Shemayim in Montreal. You have a cantor, Gideon Zellermeyer from that shul. You tell me what other popular artist brings in the choir of the house of worship where he or she grew up and the person who's in charge of the sacred music. It's an amazing thing. And the last thing I want to read, uh, I want to read to you something, and then we're going to do the last song, which my sons think is the greatest, the best song on his final album, which is You Want a Darker. By the way, if we had more time, they're lining up the prisoners and the guards are taking aim. Okay, I think he's bringing the Shoah in there. It will not be the first time that he does so in his music. If you listen to the song, uh, first we take Manhattan, then we take Berlin. Okay, the Shoah is in there as well. Million candles burning for the help that never came. Okay, vilified and crucified. We saw that before. Okay, again, he's not doing a Christian thing. He is basically saying uh, that uh, that the image of God is broken as well when people murder. Now, his lover uh, and his muse, Mary and Elin, died. Uh, before he did. She was immortalized in his song, So Long, Marianne. This is a letter to her that he wrote right before she died. Well, Marianne, it's come to this time when we are really so old and our bodies are falling apart, and I think I will follow you very soon. Know that I am so close behind you that if you stretch out your hand, I think you can reach mine. You know that I've always loved you for your beauty and your wisdom, but I don't need to say anything more about that because you know all about that. But now I just want to wish you a very good journey. Goodbye, old friend. Endless love. See you down the road. As I said to you at the very beginning, if we can all confront death like that, what a bracha. The final song, Steer Your Way. Understand that the interview you saw was Leonard Cohen's last interview two weeks after two weeks after you wanted darker was released Leonard Cohen died. What's that? Two weeks after the album, this final album came out.
is far more real than you That smashed the cosmic model That planned at every view And please don't make me go there Though there be a God or not Year by year Month by month Day by day Whisper still the ancient stones, the blunted mountains weep. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make things cheap. And say the mayor Cooper, which you probably forgot, you buy here. Tomorrow I'm going to be talking about 
what I believe to be the most important Jewish story ever told. A story that does not appear in the Torah, though everyone has looked for it. It's a story about Abraham breaking his father's idols at the age of 13, which, by the way, is the reason why kids are bar mitzvah at 13. It's because of that story, believe it or not. And I'm going to talk about the Jewish struggle with idolatry. But something I want to leave you with is this. And Rabbi Dan and I were chatting about this, so we didn't realize we were chatting about this. And it's great to be in his shul and to see what he has done here and the legacy that he has uh, picked up from Rabbi Bregman. And your really wonderful congregation. And it was, it was such a joy to be able to pray with you. And I'm looking out, looking forward to hanging out with Rabbi Brown tomorrow, whom I knew in a previous incarnation, not mine, hers. <laughs> Since we're talking Christian here. Associate Rabbi at Isaiah in Lexington, Massachusetts. Uh, as he died to make men holy, let us die to make things cheap. One of the things that I am obsessed with is um, you're pounding your back. Uh, I, I saw that, by the way. Please stop, please stop flagellating yourself. <laughs> I hope you're okay. Uh, one of the things that I obsess about in our world today is that you can have either holiness or you can have consumerism. Or let's put it this way. We're constantly struggling with are we concerned about values or are we concerned about costs? And so I want to submit to you that if we only worry about how we can sell things and how we can buy things, if we only live in that world, then we do not live in a world of holiness. Which had led me to the conclusion that while I am not an Orthodox Jew, uh, I am a Reformed rabbi. I do not define myself as a Reformed Jew. I'm just a Jew. Uh, I don't like denominational Judaism. When you put an adjective in front of it, it sounds like guilty with an explanation. <laughs> but I will say this. If there's one thing I covet about the traditional way of doing Shabbat, it is simply this. To me, the most attractive thing about Shabbat, if I could ever pull it off, and I've tried many times in my life, Imagine on Shabbat if we were to disconnect ourselves from our chief idols. <laughs> and imagine if we could have an entire day where we don't shop. Now, as I've tried to explain to people, it's not because spending money is against Jewish law. It's because it's against life. There should be one day during the week when we do not define ourselves by what we have, by what we own, by our spending power, this is going to sound a little communist to you, okay? I'm just channeling my grandfather. Okay, there should be one day a week where we do not judge ourselves by our role in a consumer economy, but rather there should be one day a week where we simply are. Attractive, isn't it? As he died to make men holy, let us die to make things cheap. Friends, I have to tell you, you do not ever hear anybody in rock music or popular music really effectively deal with the issue of fragility and mortality. The only other person who did so, as far as I can tell, well, Dylan did in Knocking on Heaven's Door. That's certainly true. But Warren Zevon, the late Warren Zevon, who was partially Jewish, uh, when he was dying of lung cancer and his final album recorded a song called Please Stay, 
which he imagined his loved ones saying, please stay, please don't leave us. But for a man to get up and to sing, meaning, I'm ready, my Lord, to use those words, and for that to be recorded and to be felt everywhere around the world, this is a great gift. And so, just to let you know, when I said Kaddish tonight, I was thinking of Eliezer HaKohen, Leonard Cohen. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Jeff, thank you so much, and thank you all for coming tonight. Uh, just again, uh, Rabbi Salkin's book, some of them, all of them are available on Amazon, and chapters, I'm sure many of them. Uh, but the books that reference his talks this weekend are available here. If there's more than what we have, we can order additional ones. Tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. services, uh, Rabbi Salkin will give a drawstring service, a brief one. Really, the, the, the learning and, and the talk will take place at lunch around noontime. I will be short. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Thank you to Rochelle and all the people in the office.